your host, Trent Meyer, and welcome to another episode of Bank Statements, part of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka podcast series. Today, I'm very excited to have two special guests with me, uh, experts in the financial services, economy, um, the markets, if you will, uh, Stephen Townsend and Jeff Kuzbell. I'm going to turn the tables on them a little bit in this episode and do something a little different and have them introduce you and give some of their background and um, what they've been through and the experience they have uh, relevant to the topics we're going to be talking about today. And so, Stephen, I think we'll go ahead and start with you. You're our portfolio manager. Go ahead and give everybody a little background on yourself. Yeah, thanks, Trent. Gl- glad to be here. Um, I- I've been at the bank for a little over four years now. And prior to that, my, my career started a little bit over a decade ago in in portfolio management and, and and looking at working with community banks on different strategies and asset liability management. Done a few different things since then, more traditional corporate finance and some IT functions and some consulting work, but but pleased to be at the bank for four years. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. He's been doing a great job. A lot of a lot of great knowledge in the in the financial markets, that's for sure. And and Jeff is our is our new chief financial officer. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Jeff? Thank you, Trent. Glad to be here. Similar to Stephen, I've had some varied uh, backgrounds and experiences during my career. I started out as a bank examiner during the SNL crisis, so I saw quite a bit uh, during that period of time uh, as uh, as it was a crisis for financial institutions. I then moved on to the Federal Home Loan Bank of Pittsburgh. Uh, spent uh, about seven years there in uh, capital markets, both on the funding, hedging, derivative side, and also on the investment portfolio management left that role and went into private asset management, uh, where we managed money for pension funds and endowments. And I was involved in uh, MBS fixed income uh, hedging activities. I left portfolio management and went to Freddie Mac during the restatement period. So here I left and uh, joined the second line in enterprise risk management and helped build out our enterprise risk function for Freddie Mac during that period. Uh, unfortunately, with the Great Recession, we, uh, we went into conservatorship, and I then moved on to Capital One, where I spent about a 12-year career doing uh, many different roles in treasury, balance sheet management, balance sheet strategy. And when I left the organization, I was the accountable executive for the LIBOR transition program. So uh, have have really looked at my career and tried to do different things and and what you do what you gain from that is many different perspectives uh, from both a first line and second line role. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it's going to be very beneficial to not only us but I think our membership as well to lean on some of that expertise and and we're going to pull some of that out of you here today. Uh, to get us started off though, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about the economy here. We're going to be talking now about some investments and then I'm actually going to dive into some SOFR questions with, with Jeff especially. Um, but to set the stage, I think I want to ask Stephen, you know, on a weekly basis internally, he always provides us an economic and a market update uh, to kind of set the stage for this discussion. What have you been seeing on those two fronts? What have you been sending out to everybody? Maybe give some expectation of what we can see in the coming weeks, coming months as well. You know, for uh, for a pretty quiet August, which we typically see in the financial markets, uh, there's still plenty going on these days. You know, we've been writing recently about improvements in the unemployment metrics and the pace of job hiring. Um, you know, jobless claims this morning ticked up a little bit for the first time in, in three or four weeks. So again, we're looking at things like that every day and just trying to sh- spread that knowledge throughout the bank, so so more business partners can get kind of know what's going on and what we're seeing. Um, you know, th- those jobless levels uh, are kind of back to pre-pandemic levels. There's still work to do. Other stuff we're seeing right now is in the rates and spreads that we're always writing about. 
Um, you know, today and tomorrow is interesting as the Kansas City Fed kicks off their Jackson Hole Symposium. And so we're looking at the tenure this morning is moving up a little bit. Uh, so we are seeing some steepness back in the curve, really in anticipation of some of the tapering expectations in that timeline headed into the fall months here. Um, you know, regardless of the tenors that you pick on the curve, you know, things we've been looking at is that the curve has flattened since the first quarter of this year. Um, but we're still higher than those five-year average spreads. So historically, you know, the curve's a little bit steeper, but has certainly been under pressure for the last several months. Um, and then, you know, the, t- the, the big issue we've all been talking through lately is all eyes are on the Delta variant as it relates to COVID. Um, you know, at, right now, I don't think the market expects a whole lot of slowdown, similar to the degree we saw early in the pandemic last year. But really, I think the market's spending a lot of time sort of dialing back and maybe re-leveling some growth expectations for late this year and early next year. Yeah, thank you for that, you know, kind of general overview and and setting the stage for us there. That's a lot of good color on where we're at currently in the economy. And I know that these are things that our members follow very closely because it directly impacts their business. And, you know, on that front with what Stephen just mentioned is kind of where we're at in the economy right now. Jeff, what do you see as some of the primary issues that are facing financial institutions and our membership today? So financial institutions today are faced with unprecedented levels of liquidity. We've seen loan demand uh, remain low uh, coming out of this pandemic period. Deposit volumes have remained high, and they continue to grow uh, over time. Uh, Also, there's limited opportunities um, in the securities markets with yields where they are at low levels and spreads being as tight as they are. So when you look at a combination of the balance sheet dynamics and what's happening in the in the marketplace with low interest rates and a flat yield curve, this has a, a negative impact on NIM. And with flat yield curves, that's always a challenge for financial institutions uh, for the interest margin uh, of having uh, attractive asset opportunities. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, you know, with my being out on the road and chatting with a lot of members recently, I mean, that's exactly what's being talked about, especially the NIM pressure that we're seeing this year. Of course, uh, they've been saved, I guess you could say, by fee income from PPP, but I think that 2022 is going to look a lot different. And so with all this excess liquidity in the marketplace, with low yields on securities, with tightening pressures on NIM, Stephen, what do you suggest our members do with some of this, or, or how do they prepare going forward, especially as we look at 2022? You know, kind of like what Jeff said, you know, cash is expensive right now in terms of its opportunity costs. And, you know, like any other asset on a bank balance sheet, it requires capital and it just doesn't provide the return that a lot of banks are looking for. And, you know, each institution is different. They have different loan opportunities, different investment philosophies. So, you know, just to speak in generalities, you know, I I think members should be looking at some things like deposit betas and, and how that impacts their interest rate risk profile. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of member discussions we've had. There's expectations these deposits will stick around for quite some time, you know. But that's an assumption I think people should be testing. Uh, you know, if if those deposits run off faster than they expect and the cash goes with it, that balance sheet mix changes. And so, how do you know? I, I would want those members to kind of look at their balance sheet and say, how does that change their risk metrics as their balance sheet mix changes if it happens in some unexpected way? So. Um, you know, that, that's one thing I think folks should be looking at. The other is, you know, there are banks that are out there investing, and, and that makes sense. I think, you know, if they are, one thing that I always advised back in my, my prior days as a strategist, and, and we still do and practice for ourselves here at the bank, is just staying consistent with, with some idea and some philosophy and that sort of approach of dollar cost averaging. 
you know, uh, you know, ourselves and our members are, you know, we're usually not in the position of making bets on interest rates and on investment ideas. And so that consistency in the market can help a lot over different environments in terms of performance. You know, I, I think there's something to be said for being opportunistic, but doing nothing is expensive. Uh, and consistency can help give you those opportunities without having to feel like you're really picking a spot to try and get involved in the market. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just sitting and doing nothing may not always be the best solution. And right now we're certainly in an interesting time. And so taking a look at your risk profile, your risk appetite is something that's going to be very important for banks and and our financial institutions, especially to do. Jeff, I don't know if you have anything to add as far as um, what you could advise our members do during this time and these interesting times that we're in. And then maybe even comment. I know you mentioned how how low rates are and the steepness of the yield curve. Well, how do members prepare for that to change as we go into the future as well? Sure. I like to focus on on your ALM practices. Uh, strong ALM practices would dictate that you evaluate your current risk position, but also consider many different possible alternatives that could come from this. Um, as we said, we're kind of in an unprecedented low rate environment, very flat yield curve what does the future hold? Are we going to stay in this environment where you have low rates for a longer period of time? Could we see declines in interest rates that may occur? And there's also a likelihood that there could be scenarios where interest rates do rise um, as a result of some changes in in, in Fed action. So uh, when I look at um, planning for the future, I like to do and, and evaluate some what-if scenarios. Uh, there could be actions that you may take on the deposit side of, of the balance sheet to, to lower rates, uh, reduce your sensitivity of your deposits. On the investment side of the equation, uh, one of the things I, that, that we're evaluating and, and something that, that is being considered is maintaining that duration of your balance sheet, but maintaining it in such a way that you're not adding a lot of uh, assets that could extend should rates rise. So, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, uh, one of the things that, that we try to do is to evaluate possible outcomes, uh, think about uh, what could unfold. And as I mentioned, uh, we could be on the verge also of rising rates. There's talk of the Fed raising rates in late 2022, maybe early 2023. There's discussion about the Fed tapering their asset purchases uh, and maybe discontinuing purchases going forward. That could have the impact of raising interest rates for future periods. So planning uh, is a, is a, is one of the areas that we look at as as being useful for for our member institutions. Yeah, certainly. And you know, me being out on the road talking to some members, uh, they're still trying to figure out what that's going to look like. I mean, I, I think that there's so many so much uncertainty and so many question marks that they just aren't sure what to even put in the plans. And so I think, you know, running a variety of different scenarios, kind of, as you mentioned, Jeff, is going to be something that's very important from that perspective. And Jeff, I know you just commented on, you know, some things that are coming, but let's pull out our crystal ball a little bit and and talk about some of those items that are coming down the pipe, maybe what you see, what you expect, and then how any suggestions that you have for our listeners, our membership to prepare for some of those. I know it's a lot of planning and, and, and scenario running, but any other thoughts that you might have on how they can prep for some of that? 
you know, this week, like we talked about before, to start things off is big for the Fed. And, you know, all eyes are on the Fed and the market these days. And, and it's the things Jeff just mentioned. It's the tapering and it's when those short-term rates might move. Um, you know, I, I don't think from a bigger picture perspective, there's a material difference in the long term, but whether the Fed tapers in October, December, or January. Right? That, that in the long term doesn't really change a lot. Um, it's really that front end. We still expect it to remain anchored for quite some time based on the Fed guidance. So we're really looking at you know steepness of the curve. And, and I think if that, this tapering layers in, like Jeff's talking about, uh, hopefully our, institution, our member institutions, you know, that coupled with some continued recovery and ideally some more robust loan demand will provide them with some more opportunities for that ability to expand their net interest margin in loan um, activity. Um, you know, one other thing around the Fed is, you know, we're also seeing a ton of liquidity in the market. You know, their their reverse repo facility, our RP program. You know, we're we're looking at where they might move some of those rates, and you know, it's hitting a new record level every day. Uh, they were up over one point one trillion dollars almost every day this last week. So a lot of liquidity still in the system. Um, you know, and one thing that we haven't mentioned this far, I'm surprised we made it this far without mentioning it, but but we're on to inflation. So, you know, that's the big question about transitory versus sustained increases in prices. And the market's still, frankly, searching for an answer. You know, if it's easy to dismiss sort of where the Fed comes from when they say it's transitory, and we all go look around at the prices of things, and it seems quite a bit higher. So it's easy to dismiss the Fed and, and think that it is sustained. Um, and if so, we should see that steepness in the curve a little bit more. Um, but one thing, you know, I, I try and challenge the assumptions a little bit. And what if the Fed is right, and and that is transitory? Um, you know, what could that do? How's that going to might change the curve shape? With a combination of some tapering of asset purchases, with not with just transitory inflation, and that elevated price level not staying sustained. So, um, you know, again, it's really just the shape of the curve is what we're looking at going forward here. Yeah, and as it continues to move, I'm shocked we we haven't hit on that buzzword inflation yet either. Um, that's a pretty popular topic, especially trying to figure out of uh, you know how to manage balance sheets going forward on our members in. But do you have anything to add to that, Jeff? I, especially on a more macro level. I mean, we haven't hit on on COVID too much either. Stephen touched on Delta. I haven't hit on you know things happening with foreign policy either. But any other thoughts? So, so I, I've been around the financial markets for many years. I, I, I started my career during the SNL crisis. Uh, I've lived through the dot-com bubble, the Great Recession, and obviously we're in the midst of the, of the COVID situation. I don't know that I've seen a series of events unfold or that could be on the verge of unfolding that could impact uh, financial institutions. Let's start with some of the geopolitical. You have a Middle East situation where uh, um, should there be adverse events that occur there, there could be a flight to quality, which could put pressure, downward pressure on interest rates um, as a result of of political uncertainty. Uh, Likewise, uh, we're now into the Delta variant of COVID. And if there are continued lockdowns that occur, uh, which could impact economic activity. Once again, those could be um, those impacts could be downward pressure on rates and potentially lower rates uh, for a longer period of time. Conversely, the Middle East situation could result in uh, rising oil prices, and typically, rising oil prices are associated with with inflation. Uh, from a fiscal perspective. 
There's the uh, the potential passage of $3.5 trillion stimulus package. You have deficit spending. You may have additional liquidity that is uh, making its way into the marketplace. Uh, that could have the implications of, of increasing interest rates, increasing uh, inflationary pressure. Uh, as, as Stephen mentioned about some of the tapering and the potential rise in interest rates that may occur there. So as I mentioned, I've just presented scenarios that are down rate scenarios, and I've presented some scenarios that are rising rate scenarios. So once again, I'm going to come back to the the statement that um, I think detailed planning processes for our member uh, institutions, what-if analysis and, and scenario capability helps give you the capability to have playbooks to figure out when do you have entry points, uh, when do you make strategy changes, or maintain existing strategies uh, through these different uh, uncertain cycles. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of question marks, a lot of what ifs in the environment. I mean, you guys just talked about so many different scenarios and ways that things can play out. And so having a, it seems like our members need to have a vast playbook of what to do, when to do it, what their entry and exit points are. And so, uh, you know, I really appreciate that the feedback that you guys have provided there. Now we're going to shift gears just a little bit here. Um, a very popular topic of conversation as well is alternative indices, what our members are going to tie, uh, their loans to, you know, with LIBOR transitioning away and Jeff, with your background, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Um, but let's start things off and kind of set the stage on here on this. What is the status of LIBOR? And what are we doing on the SOFR end as a federal home loan bank, as a system, and even as a, as a market as a whole, what does SOFR look like right now? Sure. The, well, the use of LIBOR um, is scheduled uh, for new transactions to end on December 31st, 2021. Um, and there's an exception there if those tr- any transactions thereafter are for risk-reducing purposes. So uh, there's been a lot more rhetoric uh, in the news lately about uh, regulators needing to ramp up efforts to encourage the discontinuance of LIBOR in new transactions going forward. So um, what's being encouraged as an alternative is the secured overnight financing rate, which is SOFR. Now, SOFR represents a risk-free rate collateralized by government repro transactions, uh, and that's been something that has been promoted by the Alternative Reference Rate Committee, which has spearheaded activities in uh, the development and governance around uh, reference rates. So what we're seeing in SOFR is that SOFR future volumes have increased. We're seeing increased activity in derivative transactions. From a home loan bank perspective, the home loan bank system is the largest issuer of SOFR-based debt in the marketplace. Uh, and we also, as an institution, Home Loan Bank Topeka, have done SOFR-based advances, albeit the SOFR-based advances uh, have, have, been, you know, have been limited numbers at, at this point in time. Uh, what we've seen so far in the cash markets is somewhat limited activity versus projections. Loan demand in, in, in consumer space and commercial space has been limited. And uh, there was an expectation that there'd be further advancements in the cash markets for alternative reference rate products. Some additional developments are the evolution of term SOFR, which will have term tenors, but that's in the early stages. And you're starting to see the emergence of uh, alternative credit-sensitive indices, 
such as Ameribor and Bisbee, which is a Bloomberg bank yield um, index. So there's quite a bit happening in the marketplace as it relates to moving away from LIBOR. However, I think those activities are, are, are somewhat limited, and that time period is getting shorter to December 31st, 2020. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. That's coming up very quickly. And thank you for the background on where we're at with LIBOR and, and, and SOFR. And, and even mentioning these couple of alternative indices, the Ameribor and the Bisbee, you know, being out on the, on the road, I've been in conversations with some members that have brought those up. And those are relatively new to me, for sure. And I think they're relatively new to our membership as well. Um, what advice do you have for our members if they're looking for that alternative indice? Why could it be SOFR? Why couldn't it be SOFR? What's the ins and outs, the, the problems or the hiccups, and why why might SOFR be a good option? And, or why might one of these other ones be a good option instead? And then maybe they could fund with SOFR with the Federal Home Loan Bank. I know basis risk comes into play, but what's your advice on that front? If, if members are starting to look at this, what are some things they need to look at? So, so SOFR as an interest rate is the benefits there are that it's a deep liquid market. There's typically between 900 billion and a trillion dollars of, of transactions that are backing the SOFR index rate on a daily basis. So it's a deep liquid market, which is a benefit versus LIBOR, which was really based on limited transactions and a kind of consensus of rates between the panel banks who set that rate. So SOFR as a benchmark rate has it has its merits. However, when you talk to commercial customers, and, and, and I've been in conversations with the, uh, uh, financial institutions, both our members and, and other institutions during my, uh, during my tenure at Capital One is leading the LIBOR transition effort. There's not a lot of support right now for SOFR as a benchmark rate for consumer and commercial loans. So one of the things that I would, I would suggest to our member institutions is that uh, to start building the capabilities to be able to utilize SOFR as a, a reference rate. And now SOFR has many different forms. It could be a simple average rate. There's daily compounding and arrears and advance and some accrual methods there that bring complexity to this. But I would suggest for our, our, our member institutions, start evaluating your system capabilities, start evaluating your processes, your legal documentation, and also, what's critically important is to communicate with your customers to understand what their capabilities are to be able to support alternative reference rates. And when you're building out your capabilities, once again, there's a couple schools of thought. Do you build kind of an a la carte menu where you're offering different products or different flavors of SOFA? Now, that has a cost. Creating flexibility has a cost. Or uh, do you settle on a reference rate? It could be a, a single flavor of SOFR, or you may even want to consider other alternatives such as Prime or a Maribor or a Bisbee rate and, and work with your customers and work with your systems and processes to, to implement that, that single rate if that's an easier process. But either way, that once again, that window is coming, you know, coming uh, closer to us, and I would just suggest that institutions begin that preparation to, to, to move into a yeah, that timeline's certainly coming quickly, and and 
any way that we can help as the Federal Home Loan Bank and, and our listeners and members, trusted financial partner, if they've got questions, I mean, the expertise that we just have in this room is is great. And so please reach out to your account manager and they'd be happy to set something up with, with internal experts if you want to have more detailed conversation on it. But, you know, S- Stephen, do you have anything else to add on the SOFA front, on the alternative indice front and what we're seeing? The only thing I really want to chime in on is that SOFR still may feel new to a lot of folks who haven't been looking at it, but it's been published since April 2018. And the home loan banks in particular, we've been very active in in the in that rate. Uh, we've been issuing debt index to it since November of 2018. And so while it still might feel new to a lot of our members, um, you know, we're about as familiar with it as a firm can be across debt issuance, across our derivative practices, looking at investments. Um, you know, we're offering those SOFR indexed advances, as Jeff mentioned, and, and we're starting to see a little bit of traction there. And so I just encourage our members to ask us questions. You know, we've been dealing with this transition for years and in many areas facing the same questions that a lot of our members are. And so if we can pass along observations, lessons learned, you know, we'd be happy to try and get on the phone and just, you know, try and be a resource for them where we can. Absolutely. And you guys aren't going to be off the hook after this podcast. We're going to be having you on a few more times after this to dive in a little deeper, especially as you know, more comes out on any of those alternative indices. And as LIBOR, that transition comes closer, we're probably going to have more answers too. So um, I'll have more questions for you at later dates. But for right now, I think that's all the time that we have for this particular episode. But I do want to get final thoughts from both of you. Uh, any final final words that you'd like to share, Jeff? Sure. Uh, these are very uncertain times. Uh, geopolitical events, fiscal policy, interest rates, changes in the landscape of benchmark uh, indices. So what we as bankers have employed as strategies in the past, and and we've employed many of them uh, over the years, may or may not be appropriate in this current environment. So as as we talked about, I'm a big believer in scenario analysis and and looking at multiple strategies and, and maybe taking bits and pieces of these strategies, averaging in uh, to, to certain approaches. But ultimately, what's, what's critically important is to have nimble execution, to be able to execute those strategies, move quickly, adjust as the, as the market environment adjusts. And these markets may not unfold as planned. I don't expect them to unfold as planned. Uh, it never does. It probably never will. But have, having those playbooks and, and, and considering the possible alternatives uh, it will help navigate uh, this world of uncertainty. Absolutely. How about you, Stephen? Final words? Yeah, I, if, you, if you'll have us back, I'd be happy to. I guess I won't speak for Jeff, but I'd be happy to come back and join you. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just the only kind of parting thought that I kind of think through is, you know, you heard my thoughts and Jeff's thoughts on the outlook and our crystal balls are, are pretty cloudy. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things up in the air like they have been for quite some time. And, you know, I think one thing that we should just acknowledge a little bit is just that performance of our members and, uh, and of the Home Loan Bank over the past 18 months. You know, it's just been a, to me, when I think about it and all the things we've accomplished in that time frame, uh, it, it's a really good example of our sort of collective resilience as a cooperative and, and ru- running in this structure. And, and again, our, our ability to be here for our members and our members' ability to serve their communities. Um, you know, things are going to keep changing like they always do. And, and we'll continue to keep an eye on, on where things are going from our perspective. 
and just want to reiterate, you know, we want to be a resource for our members, uh, you know, whether it's with us sharing our observations or hearing what's going on in their markets. You know, we, we are here not not just to, you know, we want to be a liquidity provider for them, but, you know, we have a lot of expertise throughout our bank and we want to share that with, with all of our members. So, like I said, it's been great and I uh, would love to come back soon. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have you both back. And, you know, one of the best things that you just said there is, you know, we're going to continue to be forward looking. We're going to continue to evaluate the environment that we're in. But it's so important to take a look back and celebrate the wins that we've had, not only at the Federal Home Loan Bank, but our membership as a whole. I mean, the way that they came together and pushed through this pandemic and helped a lot of people uh, survive and get through it, especially businesses. I mean, truly amazing. But thank you both seriously for coming on. This has been very educational for me. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it as well. And I look forward to having future conversations with you both. Um, You know, I just really appreciate your time today. And thanks again for coming on. Well, Trent, thank you for having us both. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. And thank you all for joining us again. Uh, we couldn't have this podcast without you. We're excited to continue going forward and, and have some new people on. I know up on the agenda soon is going to be a futurist on the industry as a whole. And Joe Sullivan's going to join us at some point. So please stay tuned for that. And we've got a few other things coming down the pipeline as well. So please tune in when you have time. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today. And until next time. Bank Statements Podcast is brought to you by the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka and our members, the community financial institutions in Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To learn more about our cooperative and get the most out of your membership, reach out to your regional account manager or friendly lending staff at 800-809-2733.